And we're starting here in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14, and I'll read it. It says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being in chains. What has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so Paul's position here, he's not saying that being in prison has served to help him. Just like I said with the kids, he can't do the kinds of things that he wants to do in prison. So he's not saying being in prison has helped him in any fashion. What he's saying is that his circumstances that he finds himself in, the difficult place that he finds himself in, is actually helping to serve the gospel. And so Paul is happy. There's the code word for you. Paul is happy, kids, about more people hearing about God, despite what he's going through. That Paul is saying, it, it doesn't matter what is going on with me to me. What matters to me is, are there more people hearing about the gospel because of what happening to me? And he goes beyond this. He says, the chains that I find myself in, they have served to create more confidence in my brothers and sisters in telling the gospel. And that these, these brothers and sisters, even though Paul has been put in chains for telling the gospel, that they're going out and they're proclaiming it without fear. And so Paul is happy that more people are talking about God. He's happy that more people are hearing about God, and he's happy that more people are talking about God. And so the chains that Paul is talking about here, the prison that he's in, scholars believe that it's the imprisonment that he faces at the book of Acts, that he's gone to, to Rome, and he's in prison awaiting trial. And so, which means he's, indirect, he's directly in prison here for preaching the gospel. And so in the book of Acts, kind of the story he goes through is that he has this group called the Sanhedrin, and they're trying to get him arrested for preaching the gospel. And so they start telling the magistrates and the Roman governors all these different kinds of lies about Paul, and they're trying to get him arrested. And even the first person he says, the first Roman governor he sees says, I don't know why you're here. This sounds like it's just a dispute with your people. But they're pushing and pushing and pushing. And not only that, they're trying, to, they're trying to kill him. There's a group of people that go out and they say, you know what, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. So he's in custody because he wants to appeal his imprisonment before Caesar. He wants to present the gospel before the Roman government rather than just get off scot-free. And so let's go through the logical process here. So one, Paul is arrested and repeatedly tried for preaching the gospel, and his life is repeatedly threatened. So he can't go out and run around and plant new churches. He's got to rely on new leaders. And his life is constantly in danger. Two, Paul is imprisoned in Rome awaiting trial. So he's stuck somewhere. So everything that Paul has been doing to point to, to raise the gospel of Christ it seems like in the flesh it's been stopped. But then three, Paul and the early believers look at this circumstance that one of their primary teachers, one of the greatest apostles, is in jail. And they all look at this and they say, this is great for the gospel. 
In fact, it inspires them to preach more with less fear. Now let's do a reversal here. Let's hypothetically say that there's a global pandemic going on right now. Let's say the government regulations are hampering a few things that we consider to be essential to the church process. We feel like the way we do church is being threatened and our past experiences feel disconnected from our current circumstances. We feel like things aren't going the way that they should. And that's hard on us. But what kind of change of heart, what kind of change of emotions would it take for us to be able to say with joy and no fear, this will serve to advance the gospel of Christ? My communion crackers are slowly disappearing. I'm going to put a weight on them before they... <laughs> so today I want to talk about this idea of unshakable faith. That our concept of strong faith right now is tied to how well we feel like things go for us. And that's not the way the Bible pitches it. Unshakable faith in the Bible is a faith that doesn't move no matter what's happening around. So there's a few assumptions that we need to make to, to move forward on this idea of unshakable faith. And so the first is this. Our convictions are what see us through shaking times, not our circumstances. We cannot tie our idea of whether or not things are going well to our circumstances. It has to be tied to our convictions. And Paul says something similar to this later in Philippians 1. He says, Philippians 1 verses 18 to 20. But what does it matter? He's talking about people who are going out and preaching the gospel. Some people preaching it for good reasons. Some people preaching it for bad reasons. Maybe that's a consideration a lot of people have had. Is this the right person to be preaching the gospel? Is this person doing it for the right reasons or not? Paul is saying, what does it matter? The important part is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And so this is Paul's perspective. He's saying, if Christ is being preached, we're doing a good thing. But he continues to go on and he says that I know through your prayers and God's provision for the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is in Philippians. He's still talking. He's in prison. He says, I eagerly and expect that and hope that in, I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul looks at his circumstances. He says, things don't look great. But rather than focusing on his circumstances, he focuses on his convictions. He says, Christ is getting preached, and that is always a good thing. So Paul says, the, the circumstances that I'm in right now aren't the end of the story. My convictions tell me what the end of the story is going to be. So for Paul, he didn't want to see an easy life. He wanted to see a life that exalted Christ, no matter what his life looked like. And he's deeply convinced of this. That's why he says, I know that God's provision to the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. And I want to hover on this word deliverance a little bit. Paul is not saying, I know Jesus will get me out of the circumstances that I'm in. This word also translates to vindication or salvation. So he's not saying that I know God is going to bail me out of what's going on right now. What Paul is saying, I know that my suffering and even my death 
If it exalts Christ, I won. Paul is happy that he will spend forever with God in heaven. And that is a giant motivator for him. That his circumstances aren't enough to break his convictions. He knows whatever happens to him now, that when he dies, he goes to be in perfect eternity with God. And that's enough. So earlier in the chapter, he says that the entire palace guard knows that he's in here because of preaching Christ. And you know, in Acts, there's even a story where he leads a, pal- he leads a prison guard to salvation in Christ. He leads the prison guard and the, and the prison guard's family that they become Christians through Paul's time in prison. And so Paul looks at all this and he says, there's more people hearing about Christ, so I rejoice. And we need to hold that true. That right now with us being outside and the wind blowing music stands on me and scattering my communion crackers to the wind, that is, it's a circumstance. But you know what I also see? I see people walking by. There's people in their homes. They can hear us now. That there are more people hearing about Christ. How can that be a bad thing? How can that be a bad thing? And so Paul gives a great saying here. And we're going to hover on this saying for the next couple weeks. And it's Philippians 1 verses 21. And it says this. Paul's talking about himself. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So throughout Philippians, Paul is making these, these two foundational assumptions about how the world works. And I believe that we can understand the foundations of unshakable faith by grabbing and holding on to these two truths. And I'm going to get onto those in a minute. I'm going to pause and I'm going to move back to the kids here. So I asked a question earlier of the children. I said, what is Paul happy about during his hard times? And so there were three things. The first is Paul is happy about more people hearing about God. The second is Paul is happy about more people talking about God. And the third is that Paul is happy that he'll spend forever with God in heaven. And so Paul wants us to know something. He wants us to know that letting God do, he wants us to know that letting God do hard things through us is good. Trying to only do easy things is not as good. Just like the hard times we talked about before, when you try to do something that you're good at and it doesn't work, God can help you do bigger and better things than you can do by yourself, but you need to let him do it and you need to trust him that he will do it. This is Paul's conviction. He's saying not just the gospel is being preached more, but that means God is winning. He desperately believes that God will win. And so as I go on with the rest of the message, kids, I want you to listen to the The next set of code words is God wants. I'm going to emphasize these statements. God wants. And I want you to remember what they are. So before it was Paul was happy about. And this time it's we're talking about this is what God wants. And so our two foundational assumptions that we talked about earlier. The first is that we need to live for Christ. And I know that that sounds really obvious. But I'm going to expand this one a little bit more next week. And I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. This isn't just, I'm dedicating myself to God's ideals. 
This isn't just saying, I want to make the choices that God wants for me. These are all components of what it means to live for Christ. But this is saying, this phrase, to live is Christ, it's saying first and foremost that I am no longer the person in charge that God is. God wants us, there's a code word, God wants us to do the things that he tells us to do. And this is the difference between, like we talk about the example of tithing, that some people will give towards the church and say, you know what, I want to be generous towards God. I want to be generous towards the church. And that's fine. That's a great thing. But in this kind of perspective, there's a great speaker out there, and his name's Francis Chan. And his, his experience of becoming a Christian, a lot of people become Christians when they feel the love of God. A lot of people become Christians when they feel the presence of the Spirit, and they feel that change in their hearts, and they feel accepted. Francis Chan's salvation experience was that he was reading something. I don't know if it was the Bible or it was just a book about the Bible, and it talked about how God is the king of the universe, and Everything belongs to him and every knee will bow. And he said to himself, if that's true, I need to do that too. That Francis Chan gave his life based on a deep conviction of the total sovereignty and rule of God. And so some people give to be generous to, to God and some people give. My perspective with giving is that I can't not. It's God's money. It doesn't matter if I need it. It's God's money. Now, I have great faith in the Bible saying that he'll take care of me, and he always has, and he always will. But that's my conviction going into tithing, that I can't not do it because it's not mine to hold back. And so Paul, when Paul is saying to live as Christ, he's not just giving some pithy ideology. He's saying my life belongs to Christ. I like to use the example of marriage a lot to describe our relationship with God. And we're tempted to use it here, but it falls a little bit short. Because we belong to our spouses, but that isn't a complete enough picture. That with our spouses, we're still two independent people. We have different needs. We do things separately. I like doing one kind of thing. Catherine likes doing another kind of thing. I don't always have to do everything that she wants to do all the time. We try to balance things. And this is where that marriage example falls apart. Paul gives a great complete picture here. In 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And so in marriage, two become one, and they serve each other, but they still, accept, they still exist separately. But in the Christian life, it's not just... I'm in a relationship with God. That is true. But we belong to him. He purchased us. He wants to get to know us, but that our lives are his now. Everything we do is for him. If there's anything that is in our lives that we won't give to him, that's wrong. And that's Paul's first deep conviction here, that this goes beyond just what I get out of this. It's not about what I get out of this. This is God's life. If he wants to take my life and he wants me to be poor and destitute and beaten and in jail, then that is what God wants to do. That is to live is Christ. It's to say, 
even when the things go bad, I'm going to let God do his thing through me. Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what happens to me. All that matters is what God does to expand his kingdom. So God wants to build a church through the whole world. And we need to push that beyond our making whether or not it's successful on our own perspectives. The church grows in suffering. The church grows in persecution. And you know, this sounds a little bit defeatist. This sounds like, you know, God's going to do his thing and it doesn't matter to you what happens to you. That sounds defeatist, if not for Paul's second assumption. So his first one is to live as Christ. But his second assumption is this, to die is game. Now Paul is saying that when we live fully for Christ, even death itself is a game for us. And this is the root of unshakable faith. Because here's the key. When our sense of success or failure depends on anything that happens to us in this life, we're placing our trust in something perishing. How many times have we felt, you know what, I feel safe and secure because I have a roof over my head. You know, in a thousand years, that roof is going to be dust in the wind. It perishes. I know people whose houses have burnt down. If any of our concept of security is based in something in the temporal, we're putting our faith in something perishing. The Bible tells us not to store our treasures up on earth, but to put them in heaven. But we take that to mean, don't put your confidence in the bad earthly things, but get great confidence from the good earthly things. You know, I say, I never worry about money. Does that mean that God has made me rich? Does that mean I can go out and buy whatever I want? Does that mean I haven't had to make choices where it's like, I'd really like something like this, but we just don't have the money for it? No. I've gone without. But the truth is, is that I'm never going to worry because God said he's going to make sure I have what I need. And I go from there. Success for me is more people hearing the gospel. If things get difficult, if they force us outside, and that means that more people are hearing the gospel, that's a success. Unshakable faith isn't touched by the trials and troubles we experience because it's not about us. It's about God. And God always wins. If we suffer, it's more opportunity for us to show God's goodness. If we prosper, it's more opportunities for us to expand and give to his kingdom. God wants us to always pay attention to him. Because remember, Paul here is saying, even to die under Christ is gain. And that's not a bumper sticker. He's in prison with shackles on. He faces death. And he's saying, death is gain because I get closer to God. So for Paul, suffering was just a blip on the radar because it was all about what God was doing. And anything that Paul happened to him, he was deeply convinced, absolutely convinced that God could use it to further his kingdom. Romans 8:28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Maybe we understand this verse wrong. We think it to mean that God takes all the bad stuff that happens to us and he turns it into things that make us think that it went well. And there's parts of that that are true. I don't want to say that never happens. But what always happens is that if we look at God 
He can take every single thing that could ever happen and turn it into good. He can turn it into his kingdom coming. He can turn it into more people hearing about the gospel. And maybe that means suffering for us. Maybe it means going through something that's difficult. But let me share you again Paul's words here, Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, and most of his letters he wrote, he probably wrote from some form of imprisonment. Paul's saying, I consider that our present sufferings here are not worth even comparing with the glory that God will reveal in us. So Paul is saying that nothing we could ever go through, no difficulty that we could ever face, is even worth talking about compared to the glory that God is revealing in us. How does that not give us great hope? How does that not show us how awesome God is? So Paul is convinced about two very basic but powerful truths. The first is that my life is completely for God's use, and the second is that God always, always wins. So, in that context, in Philippians, Paul says, I think it's Philippians, it might be uh, Romans, because I don't have it written down. Paul says, if God is for me, who could possibly be against me? That is unshakable faith. Knowing that our lives may not be perfect, but God always wins. And so the entire world is going through a lot right now. We're facing a lot of changes and challenges as a church. What it should be, how to do it right, from every level of leadership, from myself, from the volunteers, everybody. We're all facing this, this question from multiple angles of how do we do church right? What does it look like? And that none of us are returning to a church that looks just like it, like it was six months ago or a year ago or five years ago. And that's really, really hard, and I don't want to minimize that, but I have a very deep conviction that God is going to use this time to grow his church. That our present suffering doesn't mean God isn't doing what he's doing. That our present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that God is going to reveal. All that matters <clears throat> is seeing God's kingdom move. And whatever battle that God is going to face, he's going to win. I have great hope for the future of the church, not just globally, but locally. Because, you know, when I see our present suffering, the loss that our church has been through, through the pandemic, and even over the last couple years, I don't see God's kingdom losing. I see another opportunity to show how victorious God's kingdom is. Because that's what happens in suffering. When we see a circumstance and we say, I don't know how God's going to pull this off, but I know he will. God wants to win all the hard battles, and he will. And so let me connect a few dots for you here, finishing up this service. That Paul is saying, and then after this we're going to move into communion, Paul is in prison. He's already told in his letter, all the prison guards here know that I'm in chains for Christ. We talked about how in Acts 16, that he led a prison guard to Christ. And so this experience of being in chains greatly motivated the Philippian church. How do we have that kind of a conviction? How do we look at suffering and say, 
this is going to end well. So in this story, before Paul converts this jailer, going back to Acts 16, it's absolutely insane. He goes and he, he finds this female slave who's been taken over by a spirit and he drives the demon out of her. And because of this, he deprives this guy of like her finances. So they drag Paul into the public square. They strip him and they beat him with rods. He gets severely flogged. He gets thrown into prison again. He gets put in stocks. And then there's an earthquake and all the, the chains and the doors fall off and he's got a chance to, to escape. But he decides not to because he knows if he leaves, the prison guard's dead. So he knows he's been put in prison. He's going to stick it out. And so this shakes the jailer so deeply that the jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And him and his whole family become saved. So why is it that the Philippian church seeing Paul in chains encourages them. Well, because all these stories that I just told with the slave owner, or the, the, the female slave with the spirit and the jailer who gets converted and seeing Paul beaten and thrown in jail happened in Philippi. If you read Acts 16, it happens in Philippi. That all the New Testament letters, they were letters that Paul or other people wrote and they sent to a church and someone in the church would sit down and read the letter out loud. And so when Paul gets, I can just picture it in my head, when Paul gets to that part where he says, all the prison guards know I'm here for Christ. There are a group of people sitting there and there's a prison guard right there who had that same experience. They have hope because they've seen it. They've seen suffering and challenge, and they'd seen the great, great growth that comes through it. And they were, they were greatly excited by that. We can't miss God's kingdom moving because it's hard on us. That the Philippian church was sitting there, there was people in their midst that had become Christians because of the difficulties that they faced. And right now our world faces difficulties. There's so many people out there who are looking for answers, who are looking for hope, who are looking for healing. And if we have an opportunity to tell more people about Christ, then we're winning. So that's my challenge for everybody here today. When we face trouble, when we face persecution, when we face uncertainty and loss, that having faith doesn't stop when trouble comes. Because I absolutely guarantee you that God is going to win. There's a story in the Bible, the book of Esther. And Esther is an Israelite and her people have been taken into to prison and slavery in Persia. And through a whole bunch of circumstances, I won't go through the whole story, that there's a plot out to kill all the Israelites in the country. And Esther's in a position, she's the queen of the land. She's got a chance to talk to the king about it, to do something about it. But if she does, she puts her own head on the line. And so she's sitting back going, you know what? I could take care of myself and my needs, or I can do what God is doing, trying to save his people. And her cousin Mordecai says something really powerful to her. He says, God will win here. God will save his people. 
But you have the choice whether or not you're in on that or not. So that's the choice we face as a church. Not is God going to move. He is and he already is. And he will continue. The choice we have is do we want to be a part of it? Do we want to stop looking at our circumstances and start standing on our convictions? Do we want to be on the side that wins? And I think we do.